Hey there, welcome back to the Naked Marriage Podcast. We are Dave and Ashley Willis. And on this podcast, we address the truth about sex, intimacy, and lifelong love. And we have got an awesome episode for you all today. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one for a long time. A lot of the questions we get uh, have to do with, with addiction issues in marriage, whether it's you know alcohol and drug addiction or any other kind of addiction. So we're actually doing a two-part series on addiction. Today's part one, and we're going to be interviewing our great friends, Eric and Kristen Kennedy, who've walked through addiction and are now in recovery. They've got some wonderful insights. You're going to learn from them, even if right now you're not in addiction or your spouse is not, this isn't an issue that you're facing personally, still stick around because I think you're going to find so much practical application in the things that they have to say, both in this episode and then also stick around for part two as well. But before we dive into this important episode with Eric and Kristen, we want to tell you about an important resource. So check this out. Hey friends, I have a new ad partner that I think you're going to love because I already love them. And that is Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix sends style so good that you can feel it. They deliver all the confidence that comes with a truly amazing outfit without any of the work. With Stitch Fix, you get a stylist who understands your style, your size, and your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It's the easiest way to transform your wardrobe. I feel like they just get me. They do get you. They just knew what would look right on me, and I hate taking stuff out. Yes. So it's like Christmas when you open that box and you're like, how did you know? Exactly. It is Christmas, and I cannot wait till my next one. So go ahead, take the leap, do Stitch Fix, get your own personal stylist, and feel as bougie as we do these days using Stitch Fix, but not for a crazy price because they get your budget. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash naked. That's stitchfix.com slash N-A-K-E-D. Stitchfix.com slash naked. Well, Eric and Kristen, welcome to the Naked Marriage Podcast. We love you guys. We're honored to have you on here. Yes. Hey guys, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, we're so excited about this this, uh, this topic today. We're, we're doing a two-part episode, like I said in the intro, about addiction. And your story, your family's story, really has just inspired me. I mean, we, we're great friends. I was honored to do your wedding. Uh, I mean, it was just- it's a Beautiful it's, wedding. Beautiful wedding, yeah. <laughs> thank and, you. And you guys are just awesome. And seeing your family thrive uh, has it, just been great. But you, you've come through a lot. And, and Eric, I know for you personally, you know, addiction was, was a big part of your journey before you and Kristen got together. And now, um, you know, you've been, you've been clean and sober for years. You know, you're in, the, you're in, in that recovery movement, helping others. But we just want to give hope to people today who might be in that right now. And so sure. take us back, you know, kind of rewind to sort of the, the darkest moments for you. Uh, what was the low point? And then, and then let's start talking through the, the journey toward hope and healing that's led you to where you are today. Sure. Um, so this September, I'll have 10 years of good, clean sobriety. Congrats. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so nine years ago, I'll just give you the last year of it in a, in a nutshell. It was just, it was miserable. Day to day was miserable. I hated seeing the sun come up. I hated waking up. I lived on my own. Um, I didn't have custody of my two kids at the time. Um, I lived in a small mobile home in a small rural town in South Carolina, um, just didn't make good decisions on a daily basis. Um, some of my heaviest drug use was, uh, crack cocaine and I was probably drinking, um, up to about a half a gallon of, uh, uh, liquor a day. Um, so that's just, that was life, uh, for me. Um, the, the darkest days were, um, uh, seeing my, my two sons leave on Sunday and then um, 
I had attempted suicide uh, for the second time um, after someone asked me if I had a problem. Uh, it was actually a friend of mine who's the, the mayor of the town in South Carolina. And I don't know why that question, it just hit my heart so much that I just said, that is exactly what's wrong. I'm an, I'm an alcoholic. Um, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't well enough to admit it. Um, so, you know, I, I tried to put myself to sleep. I took like three bottles of, um, sleeping pills. Um, and, and I had tried suicide before, but it's like, God just wouldn't let me go. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause I woke up the next day at like seven o'clock, like, okay, it's time to get up and work. It was like nothing happened. And I remember looking at the three empty bottles and I was sleeping in my living room. I had a bed in the living room in this little tiny trailer. And um, all I owned by, by now um, was a TV and a, and, a, and a bed that I used as a couch and bed and everything else. Um, and it was just crazy. I saw empty liquor bottles and empty uh, sleeping pill bottles. Um, but I had to get go to work. And it was just it was just crazy to think back to and just to try to do that. And, and God wouldn't let it happen. But I didn't have a relationship with God at the time. I knew that the presence was there. I mean, I, I wasn't raised in the church. So um, when I prayed, it was because I needed something or if I talked to God, it's because I was in jail or, you know, waking up on a morning like that. I think this was in September. Um, and at the lowest, the lowest of the lows was the last day that I, I went. Um, it was on a Friday morning. I went to um, the guy that I, I, I bought my, my drugs from. I didn't have any money. And so he, he gave me like $60 worth of crack. And I went to... Um, a cemetery and smoked and I called into work. This was like six o'clock in the morning. That's when I would, I would use the, or start my day was at 6am with this. And I remember coming home and, um, I called into work, called the mayor and told him I couldn't come in today cause I just wasn't high. And so I was, I was having that, that, um, I was starting to go into DTs where I was shaking real bad. Like my DTs were so bad. If, if I wrote something in the morning time on a piece of paper, it would look like a different person wrote it by the afternoon because I would shake so bad. But in the afternoon, if I had, if I had gotten some liquor in me, all my shakes were, would be gone. And so I was writing like normal, but it looked like two different people were writing on a piece of paper. If you looked, um, look back at some of that, but, um, wow. Wow. Yeah. but I remember, um, calling into work. And what I didn't know is that they were waiting for me to call in one more time. And, um, at like, nine o'clock that morning. Um, I had, I had a little bit of liquor left over, but I was sober. Like I didn't, I didn't get high off of any of the drugs I was given. I didn't get drunk off of any of the drinks I was taking. And my mom and the mayor and two cops rolled up mm -hmm. in the front yard of this tiny mobile home. And, um, and nobody ever came in this house because it was a train wreck. I wouldn't let people come in. I mean, I lived, um, awful. Um, it was awful. I didn't do laundry. I didn't take showers. I didn't have running water at one point. Um, I had given away my table and chairs for drugs. I had given, I'd given away crock pots and plates and kids toys and everything. So I didn't want people to see that. Um, but I remember they, they came and, um, they took me to jail because I was borrowing money from people in town to, to support my habit. Um, and so that's considered panhandling and then you'll get locked up for panhandling. That day on the way to jail, they told me that I was going to do at least a week in county and then I would go to prison for four months um, because everybody was going to press charges. Because everybody knew everybody in this small town. It was like a town of a thousand people. Right. And so everybody had known me for my whole life, you know. 
Um, and so they want, they, they thought that this was a town trying to rally and try to help me. But, um, so I stayed in jail for that seven or eight days and I got out. But what they didn't know is that that morning before they got there, I remember sitting in that living room, um, without, um, any hesitation. I just opened the phone book and I remember just asking God, okay, if, if you're, it was like a moment of clarity. And I had several of these throughout my, my addiction, but it was like this one last moment of clarity. And I, I said, I'm just going to call and ask for help. And so luckily enough, I had a job where I worked for the town. I was working actually for the water department. And so I had local um, government benefits, which is like state benefits, which were really good benefits. Right. Um, they paid for me to go to um, treatment. And so I called this uh, number and um, it was an Alcoholics Anonymous number. And they um, said it wouldn't be good for me to start going to meetings. They preferred for me to go to um, inpatient treatment because of the level I was at with my addiction. Right. And, um, and so I did that. And I talked to a, a group in Florida called The Watershed. Um, I told them everything. And they were going to fly me to Florida. I, all I had to do was get to the airport that day. They were going to give me a 31-day uh, program and then, you know, help me either start over through like a sober living house or, you know, kind of go, go back to my parents' house and try to start over. And I had, I had already done the going back to my parents. So I really didn't want to do that, but I didn't want to think that far ahead at that point. I just wanted to get in somewhere. Well, it didn't work because I got picked up and people were pressing charges. So I didn't get to go to that. I spent eight days in jail. And when I was released, the judge said, all right, we saw on the call log that you did call these places. And if you still want to go, we'll let you go. But that's the only way that you won't go to prison is that you have to go get help. And so they released me for 24 hours into the care of my parents. So my parents kind of served as like a bail bondsman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so for 24 hours, I had to call and try to find a place to go. I still had insurance because I wasn't legal. I wasn't really fired from my job as of yet. But when I called back to the watershed, they couldn't, they couldn't take me because my eight days were considered a detox. And so you have to be actively on drugs and drinking in order to be taken. I said, well, just give me a few minutes. I'll call you back. So I went and got high and um, started drinking again. And I called, <laughs> called back and they said, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> nice try. Oh gosh. Yeah. Nice try. But um, I did call another place. There's a lot of recovery in Florida. There seems to be a lot of treatment centers in Florida because the next place I called was in Florida and it was called the Florida Center for Recovery. And um, told them the whole story, but in way more detail from the time that I started drinking at like six years old, um, uh, all the way through high school. I told them everything all the way up to this point. And they said, yep, we'll fly you down. Um, get your bail bondsman mama to drop you off at the airport. We'll pick you up. Wow. And so they told me to keep drinking because they didn't want me to detox on the flight. So my last drink was in Atlanta, Georgia at the airport. Um, and I'm one of the 10% that I think it's even less than that. Now there's a 10% chance people go through um, treatment and they get it on their first try. And I got it on my first try. I never relapsed, um, but I went to Florida and I spent 30 days there. It was 30 days that I will never be able to um, say was a bad day because it was, it was tough, but they taught me how to like meditate. They taught me how to let go of the past. They taught me how to just reconnect with people there. And they shared the same common, you know, issues. Um, I didn't have to worry about bills and I hate to say it, but I didn't have to worry about my kids. I wasn't any good to them at the time anyway. So that kind of felt good. Um, I could just focus on me and kind of be a little selfish, but it took being selfish, um, to get through that. Um, and then when I, when I got done, I kind of had like a little graduation ceremony, um, but I made 30 days, 
uh, clean. And then I went and lived in Columbia in a sober living house. It just kind of started over from there. Um, but um, it was tough. Custody of yeah yeah it, it you know my the the mama of my two sons uh, my first wife she said I could come back home we were kind of separated at the time we hadn't divorced yet she said we'd try it one more time um, and we did we tried it for nine months it didn't work and that's okay it wasn't supposed to um, I was just a different man versus to what she was used to if that makes sense and so I filed for divorce and I fought to get custody of my two sons. I, I proved that I was um, just a better fit. I mean, it took some detective work on my part, but I mean, it just, it just worked out. I'm not going to put her down or anything. Um, it just worked out the way it's supposed to. And then me and Cameron and Christian, um, I got invited to come to church for an Easter service in 2010 or 2011. Um, we got invited to come to church and I asked two questions of the person that was inviting me. I said, if they put their hands in the air, I'm out. We're not doing that. If they talk in tongues, I'm out. You can go ahead and just watch us walk out the door. And now every Sunday we're, you know, speaking through the word and, and we have our hands in the air just because I, I was ignorant. I didn't know what that meant. Right. And, but I was putting up walls um, and I had to let my walls down. And But that's where I met Kristen. You know, I remember sitting in an auditorium and I would sit through every service by myself and the kids would be, you know, upstairs in kids ministry. And we, you know, I would serve so that I made them go to more than one service and they were fine with that, but um, and but I remember we those, those days. I was a pastor at that church. You came in those early days, and you know it's just it's just been so amazing to see your journey, Eric. You and you and Kristen both, and and now where you are now um, to where you yeah. were when you were you know just when you were in in addiction when you were just coming out of it, and like you said, at one time you felt worthless to your kids, and now you're one of the best dads I know, one of the hardest working guys. Um, you're just an inspiration to the whole community, and. And then when God brought Kristen into your life, which was really um, one of the smoothest ways mm. to ask a girl out, I've seen at church, you basically pretended that you were the church welcome committee and uh, right. stalked her, got her number, yeah. and called like on behalf of the church, so that, you know, like like you were like you were on staff, nice. like just making sure. And and I think Kristen, you said stuff to like, man, this church is really thorough yeah. with their guests because uh, this guy a- keeps calling me. <laughs> I was on a, a girl's trip and uh, he had actually, Dave, not to correct you, but I have to tell you this because it's a funny part of the story. He sent me a Facebook message. Oh That's gosh. how we first, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Martin Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, so he, he found me on Facebook and um, yeah, I told my girlfriends, I was like, y'all, this guy is really, really nice. I, I think he must be a part of like the welcoming committee at the church or something. Oh, he wanted to welcome he's you. He's telling on. me, yeah. <laughs> he keeps telling me he's going to give me a high five. And, you know, so it was funny. They're like, Kristen, I think he's flirting with you. I don't think he's part of the welcoming committee at the church. So, yeah. but I was going through my own, you know, um, I guess battles, not, not nearly as difficult as Eric was facing, but, um, when we met here at the church, he we were both serving, which I always tell people that's why it's so important to get plugged in to serve at the church because that's how you, you know, you you meet people and connect with people. And that's what we were able to do in the kids ministry. We were both serving in the kids ministry. And um, but I just I was at a point in my life where I just kind of was lost. I was, you know, mid tw- or late 20s, I guess. And just didn't know. I, I didn't feel like I knew what my purpose was. And I knew that the best thing I could do was to get plugged in at my church. And that's what I did. And 
you know, lo and behold, that's where I ended up meeting my future husband. And so um, he had two years clean when we met. Um, yeah, two years, right? Mm-hmm. Two years clean. Because Dave gave me my two-year chip yeah. and Kristen gave me my, uh, or Kristen was there for my third. But, um, but yeah, I had two years clean when Kristen and I started dating. Yeah, so, and we, um, I think we went out on our first date or... He didn't tell me right away that he was in recovery, but um, I remember when he did, I was obviously very scared and um, just of the unknown. I knew that he had two years clean, but two years is when you think about it, it's really not that long. And I had actually um, had my own experience with addiction, not personally, but through somebody I dated um, years before Eric, but it did a, it did a toll on me because I walked through the addiction with this person. Right. And, um, it was very hard. Um, it was probably some of the hardest days of my life. My family got involved just, you know, trying, we tried to help and, you know, tried to be a support system to them. And, you know, I just saw the, the, the good and the bad of of this, of this process of addiction. And so, in my head, I said, you know, I told myself, I will never, ever, ever put myself in a situation like that again. And then God brings me Eric Kennedy. And so I'm like, okay, like I've done everything right. I, I met him at church and, you know, now you're telling me you're an alcoholic. And, you know, so it was a lot for me to, to, um, to grasp, but I prayed about it and I knew that I really, really liked him. And, um, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going about it. I just saw something in him. And, and like Dave said, just the person he was at the church, he was, I just felt like he was such a leader and he was, um, he was such a good dad to his boys. And, you know, I just, something told me, and I know it was a nudge from God that just, 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 you know, wait it out and just give <clears> him a <throat> chance. And, and I'm so glad I did because, um, you know, it's just been a beautiful thing ever since. So, um, while I didn't walk with Eric during the, you know, his hard days, I guess, you know, and his struggles, um, there have been things obviously that have, we've dealt with in marriage and in our relationship that we, we know, you know, could stem from alcoholism, al- his alcoholism or his addiction. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I know one of the things and I, and I don't, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without calling one of the things I've noticed and that I've actually just recently pointed out to him is, um, and we've walked through this together and I feel like ever since we talked about it, it was, it's been a lot better, but I noticed that he, um, he some of that addiction and his personality can come out sometimes um, mm-hmm. where he gets really excited about things, which is one of the things I love about him, but he gets excited, excited about something like as simple as a house project mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> and we'll get, we'll do this big project at the house and it turns out great. And he's so excited and he's like, okay, what can I do next? You know what I mean? Like, okay, what's next? It's almost like in the way I helped him understand, I told him it was almost like you're looking for your next high, you know right. what I mean? Like, okay, what can we do next? And I hated to compare it, a house project to your next high, but I, that is what I saw it. I was like, you know, saw it as I was like, you've, 
you've got to take a step back. We can't keep doing house projects. Like our house looks great. You know, I love that you're getting excited about these things, but you can't constantly be looking for like, what's the next big thing we can do? You know what I mean? Um, I hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. Okay. We hear that from a lot of couples, like especially if someone, once someone has recovered, you know, because it can be part of your personality where you are looking for that next kind of fix or high, even if it's a good thing. I mean, fixing up your house is a good thing, but sometimes you can take it too far, you know, where it can take your time, your energy, your resources, and it's not necessarily something that needs to happen at that time. So, so it sounds like how you guys navigate that is by you just pointing it out in a loving way. And, and I think that's so awesome. And, you know, one thing I think a lot of couples, especially if they have come through recovery, that the spouse who's kind of trying to support their spouse often really has this fear of relapse. And I don't know, have mm-hmm. you guys ever dealt with that? And if so, how did you deal with that? You know, I, that was my biggest fear at the beginning. Like mm-hmm. when I told you I was so scared about involved, getting myself involved, like, okay, what if, you know, what if he relapses when things get hard? And, right. you know, and it was just a huge what if question. But honestly, that fear went away Good. very fast. And I, I don't know if it's because I trust him, but I've seen him um, be part of difficult situations where right. he could have very well gone and gotten, you know, drunk or, you know, high or whatever. But, um, and I've seen him in situations where alcohol, not recently, but more towards the beginning of our relationship where he was around alcohol and he just, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, like, and, and so I don't know, I just never have honestly feared that, um, even seeing him go through some of his darkest times in our marriage, he, that's never been something I've, I've feared. Um, and I think just seeing what, seeing his relationship with God and knowing his relationship with God, um, I think that helps because I know that in those tough times, he turns to him right. and not alcohol. Um, and that's so, huge. That's huge. Yeah, that, yeah. That is, that's so good. I think Ashley's probably wanting to ask how to make me want to get a high by doing house projects because <laughs> no, yeah. no, she's, no. She, she wishes she wishes that I had you that, really that desire like house to project. to want to go from house project to house project I you know I, I she she You're just well, not I, a big fan of the tools yeah I'm just not good with yeah. tools like you guys are but <laughs> no I'm not either well, that's the either. problem he hires people I, I hire out. people <laughs> but you're you're so good at it you're so good at yeah. it I, 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 I can I, see it I just can't make it happen well you're visionary you are no I I think one thing too that, that would be important to, uh, to point out is that your personality, my personality at least, as it multiplies by 10 whenever you, when you walk in a life of faith and you walk in a life of sobriety because me 10 years ago wouldn't care about any of this. Right. Yeah, I mean, really would not care about any of it. I think that I feel my life now would wanting to not like, not like be the yes man or please people because I have fought through that. It's a, it's a, it's a, a life of wanting to feel accepted, but then trying to find that balance because the people that I surround myself with now, not one in my circle would be anybody that I would ever want to be around 10 years ago. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, like yeah. my church friends, my Dave and Ashley's, my, uh, mm-hmm. even Kristen is not the, the type of woman or the level of woman that I would try to earn that, that, that time. So yeah. my personality, like if I took the Enneagram test 10 years ago, I don't know what the number would be, but I can tell you that the number now is a three, and I'm an, which is an achiever um, and probably overachiever because I want to please people. I want to please my wife. I want to please people in the church because I want them to see that for the last 10 years I've been doing good because for the first 30 years, I didn't. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you're a new creation. The Bible so says it, you're a new creation in Christ, and like your right. your very nature has has changed in this. And it's it like I'm 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 telling you, like I know I didn't know you at at the the lowest point, but even just seeing um you know the growth from those the earliest days of, of sobriety to to where you are ten years in now, uh, is really just been an inspiration. And and looking at you both and the family that you've created, you get, you know, Kristen, you're such a, an amazing mom. Uh, you know, you love Cameron and Christian as your own. And you guys, of course, have a beautiful daughter together. And, and your family is just oh, such yeah. a, a light and you're making such a positive impact in the, in the church and in the community. And, you, you know, you're, you're one of those stories that people look at, maybe if they're in addiction right now or their spouse is in addiction and they look at what you guys have now and think, man, that just seems like going to the moon. That just seems like mm-hmm. winning the Powerball. Like it's this impossible right. thing but you know, I believe that it's possible for anybody. So, just real practically, what would your advice be for that that person, that couple right now that um, they're trying to navigate through some of the maybe the messier parts of recovery, or maybe the, the addiction is still there for one of the spouses, mm-hmm. or recent relapse, or recent relapse, right. exactly. And you know, I, I know that you, you know, you guys, you know, from both from personal experience and then from many people that that you guys have talked to along the way you know, yeah. you've seen a lot of different things. What would your advice be? Because that's the people who are listening right now, I think for many of them, that's why they're listening. They're like, you know, the, right. I'm, I'm in a tough spot. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to keep fighting or I don't know what to do or, you know, I don't know if I should yeah. leave this relationship. I just, I need some, I need some guidance from somebody who's been there and has come through. And so what would, yes. what would your words be to, to a person like that? Inflation is out of control and it just seems like money flies out the window. I look at our account daily and I'm just like, where does this money go? And you're probably the same way. And that's why I'm really excited about a new ad partner we have called Rocket Money. This is an app that helps you in real time see exactly where your money is going. And even more importantly, they'll help you identify and cancel subscriptions that you're not using. On average, they're saving their users $720 a year. I didn't think I had any subscriptions we weren't using, but this is what happens. You sign up for a a free subscription to something, you're not using it, and that free subscription runs out. You're paying five or ten bucks a month for the rest of your life until you cancel it. Rocket Money helped us identify it get that under control and save a bundle right from the start. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscription, guys. That's half a billion bucks. You need to get your share of that. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions today by going to rocketmoney.com slash naked. That's rocketmoney.com slash N-A-K-E-D. Start saving money today. One goal we've had as a family lately is to try to just eat healthier, and junk is sometimes more convenient, and we're eating unhealthy, not because we want to, but it's just because it's what's easy to grab. But then came along Thrive. That's right. Thrive Market is helping us in really simple, practical ways. And as a Thrive Market member, we save money on every single grocery order. On average, we save over 30% each time, which I mean, I don't know about you, but I love saving money. They even have a deals page that changes daily and always has some of our favorite 
brands, which right now we are loving the Hum brand, zero sugar kombucha. And so check those out. Go to Thrive Market, join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash naked for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash N-A-K-E-D, thrivemarket.com slash naked. We're stretching our budget. It was when we sat down and did like Dave Ramsey, and, but we did it together. We got on the same page about how we're going to run our household financially. Mm-hmm. Or let's say both of us started going to the gym and wanted to change our, you know, I, we wanted to just start working out or, or, or work on our diet. It was because we did it together when it worked. Mm-hmm. Like if she's eating something super healthy and I'm eating burgers every night, it's not going to work. You have to be on the same page. You have to be on the same page. And so I would do that. This, I would imply that same level of thought into a life of, recover, of recovery with each other because at this point, it's not my recovery. It's our recovery. Right, yeah. And we have to be on the same page. And so we are. Um, she knows the pros and cons of my life now. And, and I, and I know that I couldn't have asked for a better person to, you know, like help with that restoration part of it, Mm -hmm. but it's because we're on the same page. Like she's not drinking and drugging. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's not going, she's not going to bring that up as a part of, you know, if we have a dispute or if we have a disagreement, she's not going to bring that up. She knows that that's like not something that's going to help make the situation better. She never has. That's so like for, And I think that as somebody who, um, you know, I I don't drink, I mean, I haven't for years, but, you know, when I was younger, you know, that was something that was, you know, have a glass of wine here or there, but, you know, meeting Eric, somebody in recovery, just out of respect, like that's not something, that's not something that I do anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. just, um, uh, you know, my, for more reasons than one, but, you know, being faith and, and, and just, but then the main thing is him out of respect for him. I think it's important. Yes. They're dealing with um, this issue of relapsing or, you know, addiction, but I think especially in a marriage, you've committed to that person through thick and thin sickness and health. And I truly believe that addiction is a sickness. Um, And I think it's important as a spouse and people might be saying, Oh, it's easier said than done. You, you, but remember I have been there and I did try to help that person. Um, So I think that was God's way of preparing me to see, you know, the struggles that people that are, are dealing with addiction go through. But I think it's just important to give them a chance. And I think grace is important. Um, there are things that come up now with Eric and I that, you know, I sit back and I, you know, I remember like the stories about him in that trailer and just how far he has come. And yes, that addictive personality comes out every now and then, but I just try to remind myself to give him grace and just to, you know, quote unquote, love him through it. Um, right. And so I think that's, that's just so important. You have to, you, you, you are, that is your spouse. And I think it's important you stand behind them. You, you look up those numbers in the phone book and sometimes it's tough love. It's saying you have got to go do this or, right. um, or, you know what I mean? Like give them that ultimatum in a way you've got to go get help at this treatment center, whether it be in Florida or, or wherever, but, but just give them that support. Um, because that's the only they need to know that they have somebody rooting them on and cheering them on. And I'm sure people that have listened to this have, some couples may have tried this. Like this is like their fifth, sixth, seventh time. I know 
you know, people that are still in recovery mm-hmm. and they're trying. Um, so this is easier said than done, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not going to be perfect advice for everybody. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, it's all about love. I mean, if you love that person, you just, you have to love them through it all. Right. And um, it, can, it, it, it does not pick and choose who it attacks. It attacks mm-hmm. all races. It attacks male and female. It, it attacks, I know, people in the church that it just attacks. So it's not like just the, um, just the people in certain states that live a certain lifestyle in sure. certain ways that it, it attacks everybody. Um, Another thing that I always I think about too, when, um, you know, he brought me to a few AA meetings when we first started dating. And, and like Eric said, you know, that opened my eyes because I was able to see, you know, wow, this, I know a few of these people in here and obviously I won't share who they were or anything, but it was people I knew that I, you know, that addiction and alcoholism, it doesn't just affect the people that you see on the movies that are carrying around a, carrying around a brown paper bag, you know, by the liquor store, you know, it looks like, but it's, it's everybody, it's teachers, it's lawyers, it's people within the church. And, you know, and, you know, Pastor Marty reminds us all the time that God, doesn't view one sin any worse as being any worse than another sin. So I have to remind myself that I am a sinner just like Eric is. And his sin of alcoholism isn't any worse than my sin of telling the white lie or whatever it might be, you know, Mm -hmm. that God loves him just as much as he loves me. And I think it's important to love the lost people. And when you're battling addiction, you are lost. And Eric always says you have to find that higher power and, and, right that being God for us, you know, and it's just important. So I guess just love them through it. Give them grace, pray, pray, pray for them. Um, and keep doing your home projects. And keep doing your <laughs> home projects. Yeah. Home Depot can, can save, save a marriage. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, guys, so. thank you so much for sharing all that. And before, before we go, I would love uh, if you guys could share any resources with people who are currently battling an addiction that, that you just think are, are, really good resources that could possibly be life-changing for them? One is if um, if you aren't actively in a church together, of course, a church is a great resource, a small group um, with people that are your same age, maybe have kids that are close to your age. That is also you know, a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like meetings, if you want like to go sit through a meeting with your spouse, I mean, AA is not going to kick you out, but if, if there are certain Al-Anon meetings that the spouse can go to who's not actually dealing with it. Um, Alan and I meeting give the family kind of a background on what, what the person's going through, mm-hmm. um, which is a great resource. Um, but if your spouse or if the spouse is looking to go to a treatment center, I would I highly recommend places like Florida center for recovery. If your insurance will allow. And, and what's, what really sinks is like when people will ask for help, it's the first question I have to ask is, and these are important questions. Does the person that needs recovery do they want it? That you and, yeah. and and do you have insurance? Mm-hmm. And it stinks because um, treatment centers are expensive. But if you can do it and go through the go through that, those are just powerful resources. And if you can't, you know, just start with meetings and maybe find a, a psychiatrist that you got because you know you can go talk to. And another thing, like a lot of churches, I know our church had something that Eric actually started many years ago called Time for Recovery. Right. Um, and so that's within the church. You know, it's for um, addiction. Like it's, it's like a faith base, which we, you know, 
Eric says all the time, he, we, we couldn't have gotten through this without our faith and or he couldn't have gotten through it without his faith. So I highly recommend doing something faith-based. Um, so try to look for something within the church. What is the other, the big one like for celebrate recovery? recovery? Celebrate, yes. Mm-hmm. So a lot, I mean, that should be pretty easy to find in an area. I know that because a, a lot of churches do that. So yes. that's pretty, I think that's like nationwide. Yeah. So and, we, and, and not to, that we're, we're not closed off from the world. I mean, nobody's going to have the same story we have. Some people are going to have a greater story than we have. Um, but we're, we're all always available. If yeah. they want to reach out and just need a, a different person to talk to besides the ones they're surrounded with, yeah. we, we'll be glad to help out. Awesome. And we can put that information in the show notes if people are interested in that. And that is so sweet that yeah. you guys are willing to be reaching out. And you all are such an inspiration. And like, I just want to reiterate what Dave said, just watching your story unfold it's just been it's just been awe inspiring, and and we just love you guys, and we value your friendship, and I just hope that you realize too. that you are an inspiration to yeah, so you, many. You really, really are. Oh, you guys are the you. real thank deal, you. and we're we're yeah. praying continued blessings for your beautiful family and cheering you on, and we know thank God's got you. great, great things to come. And and for those who are listening, thank you guys for listening to this podcast. And like I said in the intro, this is just part one of a two part episode on addiction, recovery, and marriage. And uh, and next episode, we're gonna. <laughs> you know, be interviewing another very special guest who kind of for more of the clinical side clinical is side, going to talk yes. about um, some uh, some really, really helpful ways to, to overcome addiction. So you'll want to tune in for that. But Eric and Kristen, thank you guys again. We love you. Thank you. Yeah, we love you. All right. Now we are ready to dive into our Q&A portion of the podcast. And we've got an awesome question today. She writes, just listen to episode 75 called Who's Your Daddy? And I'm afraid my husband and I are falling into this child parent dynamic that we talked about on that episode. I work 12 plus hours a day and my husband only works about six to eight hours a day. While I'm away from home, I leave to-do lists and errands for him. He is just so forgetful and can be so blind to what needs to be done around the house. These lists have been helpful and he gets way more done for us. He was always cared for and cleaned up after by his mother. My hope is that he'll begin to see what cleaning needs to be done and bills need to be paid without me having to tell him. Is this unhealthy? How can I avoid this turning into a chores-like assignment from a parent to a child? Thank you. All right, so this is a, it's a great question and yeah. you know a dynamic a lot of people can be in just with different work schedules. And we've talked to a lot of folks who have different work schedules. And because of that, kind of the, the spouse who's at home more, um, you yeah. know, might just by nature being at home more, might, you know, have more that needs to be done around the house. But how do you navigate this without one spouse being the one who's just assigning chores like a parent to a child? How do you tackle this as partners and not as the parent-child that we talked about in that episode? I mean, I think it's a great question, but I can tell kind of from her her question, like the description of the dynamic right now, he's not exactly self-motivated to do this. And it doesn't sound like either he resents it. So I personally don't, I don't think a list is a terrible thing. I think it, where it gets really bad is if you're harping on the list, making him feel bad if he forgot one thing on the list. I think where we have to really watch the parent dynamic coming in is, is just being you know, respectful in, in a spouse way, not like patting him on the head like, good job, little buddy, for completing your chores. I mean, that's where it can kind of become parent-child. But I think if your husband doesn't really seem to see the chores that need to be done, because some people are just okay with laundry all over the floor, or they're okay yeah. with, you know, and I can tell like, like she's wanting like, frankly, I'm done. that guy. Like I'm, <laughs> I, she's try, she's very delicately trying to not throw me under the bus. I am the slob in our relationship. I wouldn't say like, slob. No, my gosh. If 
the way that I lived before we got together. Now I will it, say it was rough. It, it, it was, was rough when you were on your own. Yeah, it really, it really, really was. <laughs> and I have like just an amazingly high tolerance for uh, for things being like unorganized and, and whatever. <laughs> and she is the cleanest person I know. And so I've really tried to rise to her standard because I know that it's important to her. But even still, like the uh, the weight of some of that still falls on her just because I'm. I'm not. I'm not very good around the house. But you're willing. I to try. Do I'm willing to do whatever. You. Like I'm willing to. And do, you'd rather me tell you exactly yeah, what needs to be done. I'll just say, tell me, tell me what you need me to do. But right. even in that, I think we have to. You know, we're, we try to be careful for it not to just be like, here, here's your list, and go. You know, go right. do this. Like, and, I, and I think that's where this this wife is really wise and trying to make sure that they're not falling into that. Yeah. Because if it becomes like, you know, she's the one always calling the shots and always saying what needs to be done, that becomes very motherly. And you don't want that because you need to be partners. You need to be sharing the responsibility. And so, you know, I think it's important to have a conversation with your husband if you haven't already and say like, listen, I give you these lists because I know that you may not see what needs to be done, but I want you to know that we're partners in this. And so maybe even ask him, like, is there something that I could be doing? Exactly, you know? yeah. That's, I think that's huge. It might come yeah. to the point where it would be worth, it, it would be worth investing in a housekeeper Somebody, exactly. somebody yeah, that you yeah. can just give kind of very direct orders to in, in an employee kind of relationship. Because whenever, you know, it, it's again, it's that fine line of making sure that even when we're kind line. of giving tasks to each other, it's never in a parent-child dynamic. It's never in a boss-employee kind of dynamic. It's like, hey, here's the stuff that just kind of needs to be done. Um, you know, you're home more this week. Could you help with this? Right. I think it's also being sensitive to each other's love languages. I would guess that right. the, you, the person who wrote this message their primary love language might be acts of, acts service. of service. Like when you do specific things for me, it makes me feel loved and, and protected by you. Um, find out what your husband's love language is and make sure that you're really working to meet that. It might not be acts of service. He might not care about giving you It could be words of affirmation saying like, I appreciate you doing all this. Like, yeah. I know it's not easy. You know, I'm, I'm at work a little longer than you, but I know you're working hard at home too. So it's not belittling the fact that he does work less in like a work environment than you. But like what he's doing is just as important, you know, because the home has to keep on going. It, it, it has, yeah. Or, or maybe his is, is physical touch. And, you know, you, sure, you sure. surprise him with some sexy lingerie after he's been working <laughs> working on that list. And that'll motivate him to work even harder the next day. I promise you that. So It's just important to have these conversations where you really can play to each other's strengths and make sure that there's no, there's, there's just not this, you know, mother trying to tell her child what to do or, or even kind of, like I said, like, you know, patting him on the head, like, oh, you know, you did the little the little things that or, or I punishing told you to him do. in some or way. Punishing when he him doesn't. if he didn't like, do it exactly how you wanted him. it oh, done. You left all these things off the list. Yeah. That's where resentment can build. Yeah. And and there has to be a lot of respect. Exactly. So I hope that that helps. I think just by nature of you asking this question, you you and your marriage desire to have the right dynamic. And that's that's always the first biggest step that that we're aware of what could potentially be a blind spot and we try to work through it together. So um, so great question. Keep the questions coming at nakedmarriagepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Dave and Ashley Willis or on Facebook. We love connecting with you there as well. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for being part of this online community. We really, really appreciate all of you. That's right. And we will see you all next time.